This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Man, well, um, you look good, even though um, at least 60% of your face looks good. Um, I can't quite tell. Uh, Mike is right. I, it, it's tough. It's just so hard. Um, so I'm going to assume everybody is, is good. Um, Steven has, has sharks on his shirt, and that's, that's special. Um, that's special. So, yeah, it is. It is. It is for sure. So um, where are we today? Let's... Uh, we missed, the, we missed the dry erase board last week. Now we're back at it. So where are we today? I mean, other than uh, 5925, right? 5925 Dillard Circle. Sometimes I forget the address. Was that right, Mike? 5925 Dillard Circle. Other than being here, um, where, where are we? Um, we are 100% of everybody in this room, everybody in the overflow, anyone online um, watching, any of your friends or your family, um, 100% of us. We are looking for the fullness of life. Every single one of us. If you're, if you're new um, here, welcome. Um, this is what we're talking about in this series, is that all of humanity is looking for the fullness of life. And by that, I mean everyone wants to live life to the full. Everyone wants a life of happiness and meaning. Thomas Aquinas said several hundred years ago, there's in the soul of every person a search for happiness and meaning. Jonathan Edwards said it is a, a necessary craving of the human soul to, to search for happiness, right? Like, you, everyone, you all, you all agree, whether, whether you say it or not, we all agree. We want to be happy. We want today to go as good as it possibly can go. If given two options, one that's going to be better than the other, we're going to take the better option every single time. And even when we do something that we're like, I know that that's not the better option, in that moment, for whatever reason, we think that decision is going to be better than another alternative. And, and so that's, that's how we're created, is for the fullness of life. And what if, what if we can actually have this? Like, what if life is not supposed to be some rat race that we're continuing to run after and run after and run after, and then we look around and we go, well, darn it. Like, I'm, I'm nowhere further along than I wanted to be. I may be backwards even. But what if we could actually have this? A couple of weeks ago, Rosie read from Isaiah 55, and the invitation was, why spend your money on things that don't satisfy Right? Like, why, why chase after things that don't satisfy? Instead, the invitation is come and eat and drink freely. Come be filled freely. The invitation that God gives us is the fullness of life. And where is that fullness of life? What is it? Is it happy circumstances? Is it health, prosperity, wealth, family? Is it all of our wildest dreams possibly come true? Um, maybe. But the fullness of life, the real answer of what we are looking for, that's terrible handwriting, is found in the presence of God. Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. The fullness of life is found in the presence of God. That's what made the Garden of Eden, Eden. It is not that it was, you know, pretty lush green trees and, you know, the human relationships were great. It was the presence of God that made it what it is. It's what is going to make heaven, heaven, is the presence of God. You remove the presence of God and you don't have heaven, you have hell. I don't care what the environment looks like. I don't care what things around us look like. You remove the presence of God and you remove the fullness of life himself. And so why did we draw a triangle to talk about God? Because God in and of himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? God, one God in three persons. And in these, the Father is giving generously to the Son and generously to the Holy Spirit and the Son to the Father and the Son to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to the Son and the Holy Spirit to the Father. The relationship of God himself is the fullness of life. It is a, a giving of generous love without selfishness, without pride, without ego. And so for all of eternity... God has existed as Father, Son, Spirit in the fullness of life. Now, I've said this multiple times, but I, I think it's important to repeat. This was before the creation of the world. God had the fullness of joy, the fullness of life, complete happiness in and of himself without the creation of the world and without the creation of humanity. He did not need the world. He did not need humanity, which it's like, okay, man, where do we go with this? Because our church and many churches, like, we exist for the glory of God, right? Like, we exist to give God a glory. Did God need my glory? Because if God needs my glory, then it almost seems like he's dependent on me at that point, right? If God's glory is, is insufficient, his, his glory tank has sunk down unless I'm giving him enough glory, then that puts a lot of weight on my shoulders and kind of elevates the status of me like, hey, God, you, you need me for your glory. Did God need us for his happiness or for his joy? No. Because then at that point, if God needs the world and needs humanity for him to be complete, then God is dependent on us, and we've actually climbed the ranks to God. We're in control of this, Right? But God doesn't need anything from us. Instead, he creates a world and us to generously give of himself. To give this fullness of life and to invite us to share in that relationship with him. That is a huge difference. God needs nothing from us. He simply invites us to give him glory because that is the nature of his character. He's a generous giving God, the Father giving to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son giving glory to the Father through the Holy Spirit, and, and, and so on. The nature of the fullness of life is not one of selfishness, but is one of selflessness. The nature of God is of giving and of generosity. And so this is the relationship that we are invited into. That God, he, he just wants to give to us. He's for us. And that life of abundant life is a life of giving glory to God. The same way that he has been glorifying himself. So how do we get there? The reality that we all know, the reason that we're all seeking the fullness of life, 
is because we're not there. Something's missing, right? There's, there's a gap between the fullness of God and, and us, right? That's why we're seeking abundant life. That's why we're like, man, I sure hope today's a great day because it's, it's not complete. The reason we hope that we get something, you know, a better job or we get a pay raise or we, we hope that we have a family one day or that we hope is because we're, we're not complete and fully satisfied. We're looking for more. And the reason God created us as lookers is because he is the more that we're looking for. He is what our souls are created to have. And so there's, there's a gap, right? Like something's wrong. The Bible calls that sin. That we have walked away from God's glory. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But how do we, how do we have this relationship? We talked two weeks ago. That the fullness of life is not dependent on what we do, but is dependent on what Jesus has done for us. Having this fullness of life is not dependent on you being at church. It's not dependent on you going and reading your Bible. It's not dependent on you being a good person who gives to the poor and the hungry. That is not what ultimately gives us eternal life. What gives us eternal life and the fullness of joy is Jesus alone. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy has come to bring this gap. The enemy has come to keep us moving this way, away from God. But Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus has come to give us everything we're looking for. He has come to restore us to a right relationship with God. And so having the fullness of life is trusting in Jesus alone who came and lived the perfect life that we were expected to live. And then he died on the cross so that our sins could be removed. And in his resurrection, he gives us his righteousness so that we can now be in the presence of God. Jesus does all of the work, everything. Our having the fullness of life is being near God and being shaped into the image of Jesus. Our our aim is to look more and more and more and more like the Son, like Jesus. And when that happens, we experience more of this fullness of life. And it's all anchored to what Jesus has done. Not to what we do, but to what Jesus has done. And then, once we receive the gospel, then we walk in. In holiness, then we grow in Christ likeness. Then we we put off the things that that keep us away from from the fullness of life. We put on the things of Christ that pull us nearer to to God. But our life with God is fully purchased and given by Jesus alone. So then, why isn't every person living this abundant life? Right? If Jesus has come and, and Jesus has brought the gospel and Jesus has paid the price, wh- why is there even talk of a heaven and hell? Why is there even, wh- why is there still brokenness? Why are we not living in that? Did, do you ever feel that, that angst, that unrest, where maybe cognitively you, you know the answers? Like you would, you would ace the test, but then just in your soul you feel like, but this is not, something's not right here. Right? These masks are killing me. Surely I'm not the only one. Why do we have this disconnect? 
ultimately, we don't believe that he is better. Ultimately, deep down, we still believe that our way is best. Ultimately, when, when God says, hey, surrender everything and trust me, we want to give him 90%, but not this 10%. We want to trust him most of the way, but not the whole way. Humility. Humility is the heart posture of humanity. That is the only way we receive the good news of Jesus and then walk in his likeness. A heart of humility is the only way that we can receive what Christ has done and then grow into his image. Pride is sneaky. It runs real deep. And so I want to stop here and I just want to pray again and ask the Holy Spirit if he would reveal any area of pride in our lives as we, as we continue to look at his word and that he would compel us towards a life of humility. So let's, let's pray again if we can. God, it is only by your work and by your grace that we have breath in our lungs today. God, John tells us that we don't have anything that hasn't first been given to us from you. And so everything we have today, the clothes on our back, the, the food or water that we ate or drank, got a, a beating heart, that is a gift from you. And so would you not in shame or in guilt, but would you in love and in care for our best reveal any form or shape or ounce of pride in our lives? And by the humility of Jesus, would you compel us to lay it down and to receive the humility of Jesus that we would know you more and be shaped into the image of Jesus for your glory, for our good, and for the good of the city and the world. We pray in boldness and we ask, amen. So pride and humility. Humility is the heart that moves us to God. Pride is what keeps us from the presence of God. Um, one of my favorite Disney movies is Aladdin. Anybody else an Aladdin fan? Really? Like, have, have, have like 80% of you just not seen it? It's gold. Like, it's, it's beautiful. They, li they live happily ever after in, in, in song. Like, it's a, it, and it's funny too, right? It's great. Yeah, it is, right, Matthew? The original and the new one, right? Oh, my goodness. Aladdin is one of my, my favorite movies, and, and early on in the movie, they are on a quest for Jafar. Um, Jabbar? Jafar? Jafar, with an F? Jafar. Um, Jafar is on a quest for this lamp, and it's buried in the Cave of Wonders. And this cave is just full of treasure on treasure on treasure on treasure, but really everybody just wants the lamp because if you get the lamp, you get all the treasure and then some, right? Because you can get whatever you want. And so they're on a quest for this lamp. And many have tried to get into this cave of wonders, but have only found that it led to their demise. And, and so why? Why did many try to get in this cave, but then the, the, the cave lion face just ate them, you know? Like... And, and the cave lion face guy, the sand, the sand cave, you know, the sand face lion? Yep. Um, he says this. 
I was going to try the voice, but I'm not, I just panicked. I froze right there. I got real nervous. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. Mike's saying, don't do it. Pull out. Get out. Go. He says, know this. Only one may enter here. One whose worth lies far within the diamond in the rough. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, the quote, the sand face, the sand face line. So here's what, here's the key. Here's the key to who can enter the cave of wonders is a person whose value and worth is not on the outside, but is on the inside. A person whose worth is, is pure of heart. Isn't it great when Disney just illustrates the Bible for us? I love it. They don't even know half the time what they're doing, but they do a lot of times. They illustrate the Bible. Frozen? Oh my goodness, right? Our hearts are cold until true love comes and warms us up? Come on, that's the gospel. Disney all over the place. Anyways, Aladdin. It was a pure heart that could enter the cave of wonder. And it's the same for us. We, we desire this fullness of life, this treasure, this cave of glory that is known in the presence of God, this ever-increasing cave of wonder, uh, of abundance beyond measure. The, the, the word used in the Bible for abundant is this word that's like, well, it's like here, but then beyond, but then beyond the beyond, that's then, like, it's just never-ending, growing abundance, and that is what God, that's what we're after, and the only heart that can enter this cave of wonder is a heart of humility. Only a posture of humility can enter into the abundance of God's presence. Why? Why is that the case? Because the chief opponent to God is pride. The, the chief sin, the chief um, roadblock to the presence of God is, is pride. It, it's, it's a heart that desires to be one's own God, really, to be in control of oneself, to call one's own shot. Um, Andrew Murray, he wrote this little book called Humility. We talked about it last year. It's a fantastic book. If you don't have it, I will buy it for you. Um, you just have to tell me you want it, and I will send it to you because it's so good. And he said this um, in one of the first chapters, pride may die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride has to die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. In you. He goes on to describe pride as the poison of hell. The, the enemy came and whispered this poison of hell and prettied it up to make it look, again, Disney, an apple that looks nice, but, it, but it's really poison. This is the temptation of the devil, is to bring in this appearance of something that's nice, and the, the temptation is, hey, 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 hey. Yes, God says this, but don't you want to go there? Yes, God said this, but it's hard for you to see how that's going to end well. And if you choose this, you can see what's going to happen. There's this pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's a fleeting pleasure, but we don't need to talk about that. There's this pleasure that you can grab hold of this way. And what's crafty about the devil is that he knows our, he knows our, our weaknesses. He knows our temptations, and he's whispering that, that lie to us. In Genesis chapter 3, if you're wondering where this began, Genesis 1 and 2 was perfection, and then in Genesis 3, 
The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right, he's just that, that little bit of doubt. Did, is God actually going to give you the fullness of life? Like, is he really better than love? Is he really better than affirmation? If you lost everything, is he really going to come through and, and give you fullness? Just a little bit of doubt. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, oh, come on. You're surely not going to die. Right? Like God, God's ex exaggerating here. That doubt grows a bit. He said, for God knows that when you eat of, your, of it, your eyes will be opened, listen to this phrase, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It was appealing. The temptation was appealing. It looked good. But the problem was that they subtly, gradually, I mean, the devil's not going to come up to you and just be like, hey, I got something that's going to ruin your life. You want in? Hey, check this out. Do this and everything around you will fall apart. How's that sound? Hey, go this route and the relationships that you have that are so tightly are going to fracture. You want in? You want to go for that? Yeah, that's not how the devil works. I love the faith of a child. It's beautiful. No, that's not how it works. Instead, the devil's going to say, gosh, aren't you frustrated with how things are? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if you could have this? Yeah, probably so. You've worked hard. You probably deserve it. And he just wants us taking our eyes off of God and ruminating and thinking on these things that initially don't look so bad. But please hear me. The aim of the devil is always to steal, kill, and destroy. 1,000% of the time. Always. And so they ate. And for the first time in verse 7, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. At the end of chapter 2, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. It says nothing. This is far less to do about sexuality and whether they had clothes on or not. It has everything to do with the purity that comes without sin. There was no shame that they were free to be vulnerable and safe with one another and in the second they chose to disobey God all of that broke this was not what they bargained for with the devil 
But now sin enters in and it fractures in the heart of sin is to be like God. I know we don't sin and think that, but the heart of sin, if God says this and we do that, the heart is saying, God, I want to call my own shots. I can be better than you. That is the heart of sin, is to be like God, and God cannot share his authority with another. God cannot share his glory with another. There is one God, and so if our heart of sin, the heart of pride, wants to be like God, it's impossible for us to be near God because we are living in direct opposition to him. We are an opponent to his throne, to his rule and reign, to his good kingdom. And it's not that God was like, hey, go be prideful. It's that we chose it. We chose to walk away and to choose our own way, and that is pride. And it is what separates us from God for all of eternity. Or then once we trust Jesus and we become a Christian, it is what keeps us in this dance of, of, of not knowing the fullness that God has for us today. It's pride. It's a belief in ourself over God. And the invitation from God is that of humility. That in humility, we can move near. We can have a relationship with God, and then we can move nearer and nearer to his presence and know more of the fullness of life that God has for us today. In Matthew chapter 5, in, in the Beatitudes, the first thing Jesus says is blessed. That, that word translates to happy. Happy is the one who's poor in spirit who's humble, who's, who's modest, who's meek in their posture, their heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of Jesus. So if, you don't, if we don't like it, we've got to take it up with him, right? If we're like, I don't, I don't like this whole humility thing, then, then we've got we've to sit down with God and be like, hey, dude, you got this wrong, man. But happy are the humble. The fullness of life is in the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Murray also says in his book, without this humility, there can be no true abiding in God's presence. So if we think that the fullness of life is in the presence of God, as the Bible tells us, then outside of humility, there can be no abiding in his presence. We're putting up an a wall that keeps us from God. There can be no abiding in God's presence or experience of his favor and the power of his spirit. So if we're like, man, I just don't, I haven't experienced Ephesians 1, the fullness of God's power. Maybe, perhaps, it's because we've got pride in us that needs to be repented of and laid down. Because God can't give us the blessing that he wants to give us, the fullness of life, if we're sitting there in opposition to him with pride. It's not that God doesn't want to, it's that we are standing opposed to him. Without this humility, there's no abiding faith or love or joy or strength. Humility is the only soil in which the graces root. The lack of humility is a sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with other, others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. Jesus has come to bring us life, and it's only in our heart of humility. Luke 9, when we die to ourself, literally lay ourself at his feet, 
and surrender all to him. That is where life is given. That is where the fullness of life is found. This pride is sneaky. I think it's often most sneaky in the church. When we're doing perhaps good things, or probably good, decent people. And what happens is we oftentimes start to think more highly of ourselves. In Luke chapter 18, if you, ha- if you have your Bible and you want to turn there with me, if not, it'll be on the screens. Jesus gives a parable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. If you're you're already listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, well, I don't treat others with contempt. Um, if If we ever struggle with thinking that someone is a worse sinner than us, that that's what we're doing. We're treating others with contempt. So if there's anyone that we think, man, those people, yeah, that, they're the bad ones. And we fail to see that we are equally, if not worse, that's, that's treating people with contempt. So let's just be honest, we've all been here. Um, so this is, this is for us too, all too often. Um, Jesus, he's speaking to those who are trusting in themselves and treat others with contempt. He says, two men went into the temple to pray. So they're, they're going to church, right? They're coming to church. One is a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. A Pharisee is a religious leader. Man, they, they've, they've been in church from the day they were born. Man, they've got the Bible memorized. Like, they're going to, they're, they're, they're sparring back and forth in the theological debates of the day, and they're just going to town. They know their stuff, right? And so you've got a Pharisee, and you've got a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated, hated among the Jewish people. Because a tax collector was a Jew that then linked up with the Roman government to go collect taxes from their, their family members. And it's like, okay, fine. But Rome would say, hey, go collect, collect 10%. And the tax collectors would be like, time to pay taxes, 15%. 10% will go to Rome, 5% will go in their pocket. Then they go to the next house, their next neighbor. Time to pay taxes, 17%. 10% will go to Rome, 7% will go to their pocket. So these Jewish tax collectors are getting rich by stealing from their neighbors. So they were hated. And the neighbors couldn't do anything about it because then Rome would be like, we're getting our money, I don't care, pay the taxes, fool. And so they hated tax collectors. So you got this Pharisee. I mean, this guy who's like teaching Bible studies and knows his stuff, and then you got this thief they come into church together to pray, and the Pharisee, standing by himself, I think that's interesting, he prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, <clears throat> like that guy, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I mean, I struggle to fast once a month. This dude's fasting twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's a very religious and upright person. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
So you've got two people, one who fails to see his own sins, is very self-sufficient, self-dependent, can justify himself and minimize any of his shortcomings. Right? Does that ever sound like you? It's really easy to minimize our shortcomings to justify what we do. But when we see other people, we're like, hey, look at the speck in their eye, and we're just missing the whole log right in front of us. That's what's happening here. This guy is very confident in himself. And then you've got the tax collector who's probably not even listening to the sermon because he's just so overcome by the fact that he is a sinner. And he cries out, have mercy on me, God. So you've got one guy who walked in, and he's done nothing good. He hasn't cleaned himself up. He just knows he's a broken sinner. And you've got the other guy who's got a good old record, man. He's got his Bible, and he's just flipping through it, and it's all highlighted and stuff. And you've got that guy, and he's like, God, thank you that I'm not like him. And Jesus says, only one of those dudes went home justified. Only one of those went home right in the presence of God, and it wasn't the churchgoer. It was the one who had the humility to recognize that he was the chief of all sinners and needed fully the mercy of God in Jesus to have a chance in his presence. The one who thought he could handle it on his own, who thought highly of himself and was, it was difficult to see his own shortcomings, that is the one who would stand before God and say, God, thank you for Jesus. I also brought this to the table. And God's like, no, sir, you don't bring anything to the table. It's only in Jesus. It's a heart of humility that moves us to God. We are never going to know him or draw near to him if we are holding pride in our lives. If we think it's anything less than all of him, we're, gonna, we're going to miss it. So I'll, I'll end here. How do, we, how do we then have humility, right? If you're like, okay, okay, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble. I got this, <laughs> right, pride, you know, like it's just, no, no, it's good, I'm, I'm going to write humility all over the place, man, I may even go get a tattoo of it, that, that's a joke, because I got a tattoo of the word humility, if you're like, wow, well, that makes sense, Mike makes fun of me all the time, if we're like, I'm going to go be humble, well, then all of a sudden, we're being humble in our own pride, so how do we then be humble? Right, like how do we actually put on humility without it being our own effort, our own strength, our own pride? Philippians chapter two, verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Paul did not misspeak. We are to do absolutely nothing from selfishness. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, lift up others ahead of yourself. In humility, put others' preference before your own preference. He doesn't say, be a floor mat, don't take care of yourself. Take care of yourself, but not for your own good, so that you can give the best version of yourself to another. In humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Let let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This part right here in verse 5 is key. If you have trusted Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, so this part is true. Have this mind among yourselves, this mind, this posture of humility. Have this humility which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. You see, God didn't need us. He was great for all of eternity without us, yet in generous love, he creates humanity to share in this relationship with him. And then we give God the double bird and walk away because we want to chase our own things. Right? We rebel and reject God, and then in a staggering move of love, Jesus, who didn't need us, gives up his rightful place in heaven to come and live among us, but not to, to rule with an iron fist and not to demand of us, but to humble himself beneath us. Remember us, the ones who have rejected and walked away from him. Jesus comes and humbles himself beneath us so that he can lift us up to his place. Humility will never take root in our hearts until we realize the humility that Jesus demonstrated to us. Until we realize that we had no business ever being in the presence of God. And yet Jesus willingly made himself poor so that we who were poor could be made rich in his place. Until that sinks into our own hearts, we'll always think pretty highly of ourselves. But then when that takes root, we're set free to have the same mind of humility among us and we're able to live humbly towards others because of the humility he first lived towards us. So how do we have humility? Is we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we abide in him. We remain close to him. We remind ourselves every day, not in shame, but in celebration that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, who is rich in love, made us alive in Christ. Praise be to God, I'm free of my sin. All of them, even the shameful parts that we pray no one ever has to know about, we're free of those. We don't have to live shackled by that shame anymore. We can walk in freedom because of the humility of Jesus. Man, therefore, I got no problem submitting myself to you because, man, the king of the world already submitted himself to me. He already lifted me up. Man, I'm just free to humble myself and lift you up. I have everything that we possibly need in Jesus. So this is how we grow in humility is by more and more and more of Jesus. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with God. And pride wants to just hide and tuck itself in some little corner and hope that, that you'll not pay any attention to it so that a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now, this subtle thought of, 
man, I'm better than that person, just grows and grows and grows, and now we live in a sense of entitlement, and we're, we're rude, and we're, we're, we're hostile, and man, Satan just wants a little bit to stay around. That's it, just give him a little bit. He'll play the long game. He'll wait to the optimum time to steal, kill, and destroy. So we've got to be honest with ourselves. This is where a discipleship group is huge. We say a discipleship group is a couple of people to be real about life with and to grow in our love for Jesus. There's got to be one or two or three people that have full access to your life. I mean like top to bottom, left to right, everything that you are exposing things to because when we confess and expose things, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome the light. That's where healing is found. And so couple questions to ask yourself. I mean, what do you really want? Do you want God or do you want the gifts that come with God? Do you want God or do you want his stuff? Do you want God or do you want his healing? Do you want God or do you want his peace? Do you want God or do you want his blessings? Do you want God or do you want his joy and happiness? It's a, it's a subtle difference, right? One wants God, the other wants his stuff. The great thing is, is his stuff comes with him, but without, without him, none of his stuff matters. So just be honest. What, what do we really want? Do we really want God or do we really just want his stuff? Own that in yourself. Own that with God. Listen to others. I challenge you this week, go ask somebody close to you, hey, where do you see any pride in me? And then listen. Don't defend, don't respond, don't, don't explain, don't correct, just listen. And take it to the Lord. Ask God for help. This is a prayer that he wants to give. Eagerly. Ask him for help. On your worship guide there is a prayer um, printed out. I just want to encourage you, would you pray that every day this week? Just be honest with yourself and with God in it. Maybe your heart's not there right now. And tell him. Ask him to change your heart. But would you pray this prayer every week? Let's pray now. Lord God, because of your great kindness and goodness, would you search me and know my heart? Try me and know my thoughts. By your spirit, make known to me Right now, Father, any form and kind and degree of pride. Father, in love, you sent Jesus to rescue me. Jesus, in humility, you obeyed and let go of your rights in order to save me, the one who was wrong. Compel me by your love to love you and love others as you have loved me. Inspire me to put on humility as you put on humility. 
In Jesus, we pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.